Hello, welcome to Educator Relevance, a platform for experienced educators to share proven successful strategies to educate today's students. And my name is Brian Ryan. I am a adjunct professor at Concordia University in Macron, Wisconsin. Good morning. I'm here with Mark McBeth, who is a, a, a change agent in education, an accomplished author. And what we're doing, the reason we started Educator Relevance is because we wanted to make sure we added tools to young educator and leaders toolboxes, so they can utilize these tools to help uh, be successful working with our young people today. With that being said, I want to make sure I say welcome again. I'm going to turn this over to my friend and colleague, Mark McBeth. Mark, good, good morning. morning. Thank, thanks, Brian. Hey, I'm, I'm excited about the, the speaker. When, when you introduced him to, to me kind of through some concepts on, online, I got, I got excited. Um, leadership's a main topic of his um, educator for, for what, 37 years, 38 years, something like that. Spanish TGSL, assistant principal, principal. I mean, just the experiences, executive director. He's been a consultant. So we, we are excited. He, he's a published author, um, works at the university as well and, and a consultant. So with that, I'd like to introduce Frank and I, for, sorry if I, I, don't pronounce it right, but Frank. Well, good morning. <clears throat> good morning. My name is Frank Davila. Thank you, Mark and Brian. I appreciate being here with you guys today. And it certainly is a, a very powerful topic of leadership. And, you know, when I think of leadership, Mark or Brian, sometimes we tend to elevate leaders to a high level of standards. And, and we fail to keep in mind that they hold the same characteristics as any other human being. And by that, I mean... Uh, Leaders generally possess a high degree of resiliency and also ego and courage and confidence and certainly determination and self-esteem. But also, they also deal with a multitude of routine experiences on a personal and professional level. For example, they may express fear and joy, anxiety, and other human emotions. And I've got friends who are principals and they have children that <laughs> they go home and change diapers <laughs> at night. So such a wide range, and sometimes we put leaders in a pedestal where we get that, you know, they're just like the rest of us. But then what I wanted to do is distinguish between mature leaders, because mature leaders are able to navigate through situations without setting off any undue alarms. And by that, I mean, they, they learn behavior that comes from, from hard knocks, but also they're able to pause and reflect on situations. And they also realize that well, our leadership doesn't come with a built-in GPS. We, uh, they try to craft whatever work style they have um, to make sure that it works and it fits. Because we also, as leaders, want to bring in the marginalized students and teachers and families because we want them all to be part of the operational system. And so leadership is seen. Leaders, they have to recharge themselves, either through help of colleagues or by studying or by listening to these kinds of podcasts and so forth. Because when, you, when people say, you know, leaders are going on a true north path, if we look at true north, you know, <laughs> that's going to be filled with hills and valleys and streams and rivers and so forth. In other words, a lot of obstacles. So we have to find a way to make sure that we are able to traverse all that. And also we've had a lot of leaders who've had bad experiences. And so that doesn't mean that they're bad leader. They just simply need to go back and retool. And that's why we have some toolkits because we want to make sure that they're able to move forward. You know, when I worked in Dallas Public School, Mark, I had a regional deputy superintendents. And one particular one 
met with his principals and I was there at the meeting and he looked around and at the principals and he yelled at him and said, people, if you look behind you and no one is following, then you're not leading. And I thought about that and I said, well, that's kind of harsh. But then at the same time, it is a true statement. And that kind of begs the question about leadership. Are we born leaders or we become successful leader because of experiences and so forth? And and I think many times as principals, we have opportunities to work with our students to make them leaders and also with our teachers to make them leaders. I remember as a, for example, when I was a 16 year old teenager, I was driving a two and a half ton truck out on the cotton fields and I would wake up at four thirty in the morning and to fill a 15, 50 gallon barrel with water and then buy blocks always to put in the water in the barrel. And then, so that kind of gave me a, an appreciation of responsibility because my dad put me in charge of well, picking up the labor or driving around the truck. And then later on as a military officer, I, I had, had more formal leadership opportunities. And so it's a combination of the two. You get experience as leaders, as a different individuals, and so they're different ages, but then also you have opportunities to, to learn leadership through actual experiences. And I think that's, we, that's what we do. And so it, it's a high, high profile position. And the other distinguished thing I'd like to add is that there's a difference between leadership and manager. And I think many of us um, are very good managers because we can certainly make sure the lights are on and the bills paid and everything's running smooth like a well-oiled machine. But then when you talk about leadership, you know, a leader is, is that and more. Because when you talk about a leader, they have to be intuitive. And by that, I mean, they have to know what's happening or not happening to anticipate any pitfalls. They also have to be a listener and lead with the heart and the mind. And also, as the leaders are responsible for a variety of humans around you, you know, big and small. And because these guys, these people are depending on you as a leader to promote their interests and to protect them and to care about them and to build a solid foundation. So that's certainly one thing that I like to emphasize that as a leadership, we do more than just being a manager. We certainly have to work with people and understand who they are. One, one of the things that reminds me of our leadership is the multitude of voices that we project yeah. and that we have. So for example, we can have one that I call a voice from within. And by this, I mean, we all walk around and sometimes we walk around the building or walk around classrooms and so forth. And we're talking to ourselves. We're listening to what we're observing and we're taking mental loads. So there's a voice of within that is driving who we are and it's guiding us and it's helping us map out who we are, what we're doing, and also helps map out our life and career. And sometimes you know, we tend to set aside the inner voice because we want to go with what somebody else told us. And so we have to be very mindful to keep our inner voice active because if we don't, it's going to be become a voice that we just set aside. We don't use it. We depend on others and we don't, then we're not authentic. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that, that voice of independence is extremely powerful and very helpful to all of, all of us. And then there's some other voices that I'd like to also talk about. One is the because we all know leaders that sometimes they come off not knowing enough, not having enough information. And that's the voice that I call the uninformed voice because they, they didn't do the homework. 
And so therefore they don't have the credibility because any labor doing the research, the data and lots of the other information. So when we, when we dismiss this important voice, you know, our efforts sometimes will be met with critique and doubt because people will say, well, they don't know what they're talking about. And then well, maybe so. The other voice that I think we tend to ignore is what I call the voice of influence. Because many times when we say something, people are listening. You know, if, whether we think they are or not, they're in. So we have an opportunity every time we voice something to make sure that that voice resonates with the reasoning and clarity and informed choices and also with respect. And because students, parents, and teachers and so forth, they're all wanting to hear what we have to say. So that's an opportunity for us to influence the work around us. And yeah, so let way. me ask you a deeper question on that, Frank. So sure. one of the things, uh, you know, my area of expertise is sometimes turning around underperforming schools. So I write a little bit about, you know, um, the, the superhero type of mentality that's got to take place a little bit during that. You can't live in that superhero. But, but sure. I always say that the, you got to have the confidence. You got to know who you are, what your role is, and then you always have to convey that. How does somebody do that when they're in uncomfortable situations? How do they have that positive voice, you know, that internal voice? How do they have that, that, that voice of influence when they're in uncomfortable environment for them? You know, that's a great question. And to me, a lot of that has to do with being you know, having that quiet and forceful voice because sometimes we as leaders and parents, we think that when we're leaders, we have to really be upfront. We have to be loud and we have to everybody listen to us. But at the same time, we can have a quiet voice. In other words, we can be a listener. And so when we're in situations such as you mentioned and that confident voice that we have to have, the voice exudes confidence around you because people will gravitate to an individual who know who they think knows where they're going, because if they don't know where they're going, then they're going to back off. And also, I think Mark, being a listener, many times I don't know if you've noticed there are people sometimes when we talk to and then we think they're listening, but they're actually looking elsewhere or looking at their phone or doing something else. So when people realize that we're not really genuinely interested in what they're doing, then they decide to pull away. And so I think that's another way that we can sort of draw them back in and also be able to make ourselves understood and heard by being a good listener. And, and also, I think it's okay to be critical, but it's not okay to be uh, negative yeah, about demeaning it. Demeaning or anything like that, right? Exactly, demeaning, because I think many times when we try to correct a situation or move something, we begin to either point fingers, so we begin to say, this is what's wrong, but we never say, we've been doing this correctly, we just need to adjust and modify. Does that kind of explain a little bit of what we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I like that a lot. I think, I think the, the idea that um, listening can fill that gap, right? I mean, if I'm in an uncomfortable yes. environment, if I stop and listen and then reflect on what I'm listening to, then... I now have a voice. Yes. You know, there's in preparation for this, for this piece that I talked to different people. One that I talked to was a, a lady by the name of, of Pam Oliva, and she does integrative care director and coach uh, with communication and so forth. And, and she was saying that 55% of the communication is body language. 
So that's over 50%. Also then 38% is tone and then 7% words. Exactly what you're saying. When we speak or when we communicate, if our body language is not there, if we're not comfortable, if we're doing something else, working on something else while someone is trying to talk to us, they're going to notice that and they're going to back off. And also we have to probably understand that, you know, we have to have total presence. And, and I think when we talk about that total presence, I'm thinking about how we can really understand that if we have somebody looking at us and talking to us because we want them to respect us, but you also want to respect them. Right. Yeah. I not looking across the room. I think I read something, maybe you, you may have written that where you're not looking across the room for somebody else's conversation. You're totally engaged in whatever conversation you're, you're with, with eye contact. Absolutely. Absolutely. If, if I may, uh, Frank, I'm hearing what you're talking about. I'm going to ask a couple of questions if I may. Hit. And Mark, okay. I want to piggyback what you're talking about when you're discussing. I'm going to talk about the voice from within. And you, what you said, Frank, and, and first of all, make sure I say to everyone, Frank is a, a hero of mine. Uh, Frank's one of my, my, he's a little papa to me. He's, he's the guy who I try to emulate and model some of the things that he's doing in, in education, what he's done. Frank, you know, I'm like talking about a believer in code. How do you play? How can you work in code is what people have education philosophy, people believe in what they stand by. How would you put your voices from within and how can you relate the voices from within? What you're talking about, you're talking about people setting up an educational code. You know, Brian, I think about stuff like that because many times we operate under what someone else thinks we should be rather than exploring exactly who we think we are and who we are. And I think if we, for example, if we have a particular situation that comes up and we try to solve it based on what someone else did. And I think, for example, Brian, when we look at school districts and they try to bring in a program from another part of the country and apply it in our, at that particular district, it doesn't work. Well, because it doesn't resonate because it's not ours. It's somebody else's. And I think same thing with an individual is a the code. If you don't have a code, then, then who are you? Who do you say you are? Because if you can't identify yourself, then how can someone else identify who you are? And so that goes back exactly to what you're saying, that we have to have that kind of a level of understanding of, of ourselves, if that makes sense. First of all, it does make sense. I'm going to say thank you. But then I'm going to ask a second question. And this is something that you mentioned earlier. You mentioned, uh, no, you are a military officer. You also have a doctorate and, and, and say, my question is, uh, in the, in the military, you have a hierarchy, right? How do you, how did the hierarchy that you developed to being an officer in the military help resonate when you were a leader and a principal in a school and did you enforce a hierarchy cause you mentioned motivating people to follow and leading behind you. How did those two things relate so that you become a, a better administrator as a result? You know, it's. That's a good question because in military, the hierarchy, <laughs> sometimes you don't, you don't question what they ask you to do. You just do it uh, because you have to follow protocols and so forth. But at the same time, you want to be able to find a way to make your, your voice heard, even in whatever situation, whether the military or not. And I think I found out, Brian, and when you get into the school business, as a leader, yeah, you do have, there is a a hierarchy as well, because you have a superintendent in the district and then the 
all the other pieces in between. And then, but at the same time, you have a lot of autonomy because of the building, if you're, let's say you're building principal, that building may also you. And by that, I mean, you have to orchestrate it, what's happening within that building. The other people might come in now and then, but they don't have a full complement of what's really going on. And I think that's what I learned is a transition from military to a leadership in a school building. In a school building, it's, it's more complex because the military, you're only talking about the one set of people, those who are military mindsets. Those have to do certain things because they're set in motion and they're setting, they have parameters. In school buildings, you have parents that go all over the place. You have teachers that are all over the place and students. And then also, you also have a lot of activities you have to put together. Uh, for example, I remember when I was a principal, I put a teacher on leave and that particular teacher sued me. And, you know, we had a, a good outcome for myself, but you have to step up sometimes and do things that, and I think that's probably what the military did to me was that I had some boundaries, you know, this is what we have to do. These are the expectations. And I think that held, that was helpful. And then at the same time, on the other hand, I had another teacher that we talked and she eventually decided she needed to get out of the teaching profession and thank me because she wanted to, she just didn't have the courage to make, to do it on her own. So we have those kinds of human interactions as a public school leader they don't have the military because we in military, sometimes you're not given a choice where you don't have options and schools, you have a multitude of options. And particularly nowadays with some of the board members and some of the parents that are very, have a strong voice and strong opinions and perceptions. Hey, thanks, Frank. I appreciate it. So, um, thank you very much, Frank, for sharing our leadership voices. I, I found that to be extremely powerful and reflective for me. One of the things I, I asked uh, Brian is if you're coaching somebody, another school administrator, what did you take away from voices today that you can now apply to helping another principal? Frank and Dr. Dr. Davila, I said, and Dr. Frank, as, as, as what we're talking about is twofold. One, I'd like to, the voice from within is so, like Mark said, is so powerful. I think that is something that is true. I think we do have to do that. And you're right. Vanity does play a role in what we're trying to accomplish. And people got to understand. We always say, Jim Collins say, faith to brutal facts. Uh, faith in the brutal facts means you got to make sure you, you put your ego aside and do what's best for children. Uh, and with that being said, Frank, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the last word on this program today. Uh, what? How do you think we can take the voices you talked about, the uninformed voice of influence, and how we can share this with our, our, our people who listen to our audience today. You know, Brian, in this particular time in our history in the United States and the schools and so forth, diversity and divisions and also the culturally relevancy and the equity and all that, that seems to be very important to me. For example, we have our own heritage as individuals and each one of us is different because we have our family experiences and then we interact with people that have other experiences. And sometimes they can clash, whether it be based on traditions or customs or religion or politics, or whatever. So we have to be mindful how we use that culturally relevant voice. And also sometimes living in two worlds, we have students and parents that come to from another country and then they're emerging bilingual. By that, I mean, they're learning English, so they'll be bilingual when they become English fluent. And so we have to have that 
fact that they live in two worlds, we have to understand that particular, you know, that essence and, and I see that as an asset. Some people see that as, an, as a deficit. And I want to remind people, you know, when you have people that are bilingual or trilingual, even more, that's an asset. Don't treat that as being something negative. And because when you work with students and if you can learn at least a few expressions of their language, that will draw them in and that'll tell them that you value who they are. So that's value. I think it's at the end would be something that I would certainly uh, promote. Thank you, Frank. I really appreciate it. Mark, thank you again for helping us out in this, this extremely informative uh, session. I want to say thank everyone. Uh, let's have a, a great day. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, and have a good day. Thank you.